she's an American board certified OBGYN. She's the CEO of Jobs.Mom, where women, we're moms, we're Muslims, and we're talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. You're listening to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm Zabine Mirza. And I'm Dr. Sada Flody. And today we're talking about a very sensitive but important topic, and that is infertility, the inability for women, for some women, to get pregnant. And before we get started, Sadaf wants to remind you that uh, we want to make it very clear that this is not any kind of religious or medical advice. And if you have any concerns about your health, please speak to your medical provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please ask your friendly neighborhood religious leader. Absolutely. And now infertility is a very important topic. It's a very sensitive topic. Um, And there's a lot of taboo and stigma uh, around the topic of infertility um, in relationships, in marriages. And I know that's something that we'll talk about as well. Infertility, uh, first and foremost, is not something that only or solely affects women, right? Um, it's, it's men can be infertile as well. So anyone that's listening, before we even get started, I want to make it very clear, it's not only women that are infertile. Oftentimes the result or the reason for infertility in a relationship is the man. But, you know, if we look at that through that lens, you know, I think a lot of what we're talking about today is going to make a little bit more uh, sense. So the first thing, Sadaf, I want to understand is how do you define infertility as, as, a, as an OBGYN and what causes it? Yeah, sure. So um, I think, uh, you know, just how you started off, Zabina, I think it's important for women to understand that it's not always them, right? Just starting out just as a baseline that uh, men, 50% of the time, it can also be from them. And we'll go into all of that. But I just want to say that, um, just as you stated, just because it takes a lot of the pressure off the woman, right? Society kind of points the finger at um, toward women, you know, and making it seem as if it's always on them and it's their fault and it's not. So that's important just to understand that. But yes, so definitely infertility is the ability for a woman um, to not be able to conceive after a full year if she's less than 35 years of age. And if so, she's- so if she, so repeat that again. So if for a full year, a woman under the age of 35 with unprotected sex with unprotected sex has not been able to conceive we consider that to be an infertility issue correct yes and for somebody that's older than 35 we only give six months time of unprotected intercourse and not being able to conceive the reason why is because now we're entering a time sensitive phase where you know, the longer we wait, the harder it will become for that woman to become pregnant. So it's important for us to, you know, do the work of find out, you know, if there's a reason, find out what that reason is, and then help that woman to conceive before, you know, she turns 45. And then it becomes even more difficult for her to conceive with her own eggs. So that's why we use those um, definitions and those timeframes. And, um, 
So we mentioned this in our last podcast, but I think it's so important to kind of reiterate that at birth, approximately women have about a million eggs. Okay. And by the time they hit puberty, there's only about 300,000 that remain. And of those only three to 400 uh, will be ovulated during a woman's reproductive lifetime, right? So we do have a finite number of eggs. And, you know, as we age, and I always say this, is that as we age, our eggs age as well with us, right? So um, for women who do not have a partner or think that, you know, perhaps they're busy in their careers, right? And they don't want to have children right away. You know, it might be a good idea for them to freeze their eggs, while they're younger, so that whenever they are ready, or they may never decide to have children, but if they decide later on to have children, um, then they can use those younger eggs, right? And, um, and if they want to use their own eggs, and that's important. And also for women that uh, may have a diagnosis of cancer, of ovarian cancer, um, and before they go through chemo or radiation, you know, they may want to preserve their eggs and uh, do that before they go through any of that type of treatment that may cause their ovaries to shut down. So all of those things are important to note. And but does um, freezing stuff affect the integrity or the quality of the eggs being frozen? Or it might, it could, it depends. So hypothetically, it's not supposed to, but it can definitely, right? And so I think, you know, we may all know of somebody that has frozen their eggs. And then when it's time for them to use them, those eggs are no longer of good quality. You know, and they say that cryopreservation, you know, when they freeze those eggs, that it's not supposed to affect the integrity of that um, egg, but it may. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. So, so you were telling us about the, the reasons for inter infertility. Right. So, you know, it's important to also understand why we may have some issues. So if, uh, one of the biggest causes of infertility is uh, PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And that could be a podcast episode all on its own. But in this, uh, women create multiple follicles in their ovaries. So when we spoke of uh, during our period episode, we spoke of one dominant follicle that releases an egg right around the time of ovulation. Um, in polycystic ovarian syndrome, there's no one dominant egg. So there's, it doesn't release that one. Um, there's no one dominant uh, follicle that happens that releases an egg with polycystic ovarian. And if you were to look at that uh, ovary under the, like um, if that woman were to get an ultrasound, they call it like a, a pearl. Um, it looks like a pearl within that ovary, right? Like a, a pearl necklace. And uh, that's because that a woman has multiple follicles. And so there isn't one dominant follicle that's going to release that egg. So women that have polycystic ovarian syndrome, sometimes um, they, they have irregular menses. That's how they know. That's uh, typically the first sign that they know that they do not um, uh, ovulate is they have irregular menses. They don't always get a period every month. And then, um, you know, one way, and I won't get into too much um, detail, but one way that these women are able to conceive is they go on to metformin, uh, which is a medication that's used for actually diabetes, but that helps to balance out. There's some insulin resistance with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so women that are placed on metformin, it helps them to actually ovulate monthly, and then they're actually able to 
um, conceive on that metformin. Yeah, and, and PCOS is 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 quite common, right? Very common. And yeah. it's there's also, and you always talk about a spectrum. There is a spectrum for PCOS, right? Absolutely. So I know yeah. that there are. So I have PCOS, right? But I have obviously. Uh, I have had no issues with conception. I have had, you know, thank God, you know, three healthy children. Um, But that is not also the case. And that is also not always the case. And that is um, maybe also not typical or I fall on on a different end of the spectrum because a lot of women that have PCOS, you know, they, they, you know, they have issues with hair and growth and weight and insulin resistance. And again, you know, that could be a whole other episode, but I never had those challenges, right? But I did, you know, when you talk about the pearl necklace, I remember hearing that. And I remember, you know, trying to understand what does this mean for me? So for those of you that are listening and that have PCOS, you know, understand that it is a spectrum. It's not a stamp of infertility. Oftentimes it is very possible for people with PCOS to get pregnant. They do get pregnant. I have gotten pregnant three times, right? So um, and I love that Sadaf always mentions this, that it's, it's a spectrum, right? Um, and you have options. But again, you need to acknowledge it. You need to understand it. And you speak to your doctor about it. Sure, sure. So uh, PCOS can be one cause of, you know, uh, people with irregular menses and having issues with ovulation. Other issues may be thyroid. A lot of times when women are having problems conceiving, that's one of the first hormones we'll check for. And that's um, the thyroid hormone. And if it's low with hypothyroid, um, then, you know, we'll give Synthroid and sometimes those women will be able to conceive. And sometimes women that are seeing an infertility doctor will automatically place those uh, women on a Synthroid to help them, even if they're ovulating regularly, just because they think they may have some, a little bit of a subclinical hypothyroid and um, Synthroid, which is a medication used for hypothyroid, will help them conceive. Um, Other women can have premature ovarian failure which we talked about a little bit before, and that's where the ovaries shut down. Um, a typical woman, um, not a typical, but a typical age for a woman to go through menopause is around 52. And these women, unfortunately, um, will go through menopause between the age of like, say, 35 to 40. A lot of times, you know, familial history um, has to do with it, you know, it could be genetics, um, or those women may have something else going on. But uh, anytime a woman that, that comes in and is having a hard time conceiving, you know, a doctor will draw multiple hormones and they may realize that this uh, lady has gone through premature ovarian fa- uh, failure. Um, there could also be other reasons, for example, any type of scarring to the fallopian tubes, you know, and we talked a little bit about this before, Zabine, where women that have had um, pelvic inflammatory disease or, you know, PID or infections with gonorrhea chlamydia and have never been treated, those fallopian tubes can be affected. And if your tubes are affected, that leads to a higher rate of perhaps an ectopic pregnancy or perhaps no pregnancy, right? Problems conceiving if your tubes are blocked. Um, another and an cause, ectopic pregnancy, Sadaf, is what? An ectopic pregnancy is a pregnancy that's outside of the uterus. So it can be in the fallopian tubes. Um, it can be even, some reports have said like in the um, abdomen, it can be in the 
ovary. So it's um, anywhere outside of the uterus body. It can even be like the uterus is made up of like these two rudimentary horns that come together. And it can actually be even in one of those like edges, like a, like the horn of the, yeah. of the uterus without getting into too much detail. But um, so that's when ectopic pregnancy, it's a pregnancy outside of the uterus body of the uterine body. Um, but anything and those that are dangerous, often not viable, right? No, they're, they're not viable. They're not yeah. viable. And it's very dangerous, especially if they rupture because it, the woman can um, die, right? right? From hemorrhage. So right. it's, it's, a, it's a medical emergency. An ectopic pregnancy is a medical emergency for which uh, a woman needs to go to the emergency room and be treated, especially um, if she is passing out, if she's, you know, um, having loss of consciousness, uh, things of that nature, that can be a medical emergency. Sometimes if you have an ectopic pregnancy, though, that where a woman is not exhibiting signs such as that, then she can be treated medically with a medication called methotrexate. But um, if she's having symptoms where um, she is passing out and having severe abdominal pain, <clears throat> and some vaginal bleeding, um, then that could be a sign where she needs to go to the operating room and have that ectopic pregnancy removed. Yeah, yeah. But anytime you have any damage to those fallopian tubes, you know, that can be a cause of infertility. Also, um, endometriosis, which is basically, um, endometriosis is where you have, so when we menstruate, that uh, tissue, leaves the body, right? Through the cervix, through the vagina and outside of the body. With endometriosis, the thought is, um, the theory that they've had, the longest standing theory, is that that tissue, that endometrial tissue, that tissue that uh, would normally come out and leave outside of the body actually goes retrograde. So meaning like that tissue or that blood will flow backwards through the tubes and into the pelvic region, the pelvic area of the woman, and can cause scarring within um, the pelvic region, pelvic area. And that's what endometriosis is. So it's like endometrial implants that implant on like, say the tube, the ovary it could be the pelvic structures. Um, and so that can cause scarring of the fallopian tubes. And if that happens, then that can also lead to infertility. Okay. So, um, and then like we mentioned before, pelvic inflammatory disease, um, and, uh, and those are some of the most important things to note and to be aware of when a woman is trying to conceive and she's not able to conceive. Now, interestingly enough, there's also something that you, you general doctors, OBGYN, you, you coin as unexplained infertility, yeah. right? Where everything is normal. All your equipment is there. You know, everything looks good. You're ovulating. Even your partner's semen has been analyzed. And um, that is normal. And, and that's quite a large number too. So if I think you had some stats up there. Right. So for unexplained fertility, so we don't normally, we don't call something unexplained until we've completely ruled it out. So I'll, you know, I'll go through what the typical workup is for somebody that is experiencing infertility. But like you said, Zabine, um, unexplained infertility is um, as high as 30%. And um, right, and that's a pretty high number. And usually we don't say that somebody has unexplained infertility. Uh, unexplained infertility until we've ruled out everything. So 
a typical workup for somebody that is experiencing infertility would be for us to first and foremost kind of map out their menstrual cycle. So, you know, figure out how long their cycle is, whether or not they have regular cycles, their periods are irregular, you know, that would be first and foremost. Then the other thing we do is we get blood work. We'll get blood work for hormones such as what's called AMH, which is an anti-mullerian hormone. And that basically is a hormone that checks your ovarian reserve. And so the higher that number is, the higher the number of um, good eggs or ovarian reserve that you have, right? The lower that number is, it means that you don't have as many eggs yeah. in your um, ovarian reserve. Okay, so that's one of the tests that we test for. And then also we'll always check your hormones, um, your thyroid. We'll also check your FSH, which is your follicle stimulating hormone. So that's the hormone along with luteinizing hormone that is released from the pituitary gland in your brain, right? And it affects the ovaries. It stimulates the ovaries to produce estrogen and also, um, you know, cause you to ovulate. And so that follicle stimulating hormone is what we check. Now, if that hormone is very high, that means that your brain is basically kind of pounding your ovary, trying to get it to start, right? It's like an engine that it's trying to like crank up and start. So the higher that hormone is, the less likely your ovary is working. Got it. Right? And if your ovary is not working, then you're not going to be releasing that egg and you're not going to be as fertile as you want to be. Um, and that typically happens when, you know, as we age, but for a woman that's experiencing premature ovarian failure, it can happen in when she's 35 and she doesn't even know it. Yeah. Right. So we check that follicle stimulating hormone. Um, you know, the other things that we'll always check is um, ultrasound imaging. Ultrasound for OBs are, and GYNs are kind of like a stethoscope for internal medicine, right? I mean, that's kind of our go-to imaging. And on the ultrasound, we'll check for like what the uterus looks like, what your ovaries look like, whether or not they have cysts. And that's how we can diagnose polycystic ovarian syndrome by looking at those ovaries. Um, we'll also do what's called a hysterosalpingogram. Now, a hysterosalpingogram or HSG um, is where we will will ask the woman to go to say like radiology and the radiologist will insert a speculum into the vagina and then they'll inject a dye into the vagina through into the cervix actually and that dye is going to go into the cervix in through the uterus and it's going to come out of those tubes and the reason why we do that is to see whether or not those tubes are open Okay. And a lot They're of times women, correct. So a lot of times the uh, women may even get pregnant because it's almost like you're cleaning out those tubes, right? So it's, um, it allows that egg to have a freer access to that fallopian tube and come in and migrate into the uterus. But um, you know, those are some of the most important. And then there's also saline histogram, which is the same um, same thing. It's like a saline sonogram that does the same thing where it injects like saline water, right? And to see if those tubes are patent. So those are some of the most important tests that we do. And those hormone tests typically are done on day seven of your cycle. You know, when those hormones have all gone down and then they start to climb back up, we'll check to see where those levels are at to see if they're normal or not. So, okay. We've 
done all the tests. We've, you know, done the dyes and the salines and the ultrasounds. And, you know, maybe we have even succeeded in conceiving, but have suffered miscarriage or ectopic pregnancy. And it's just not happening, right? It's just not happening. And the clock is ticking. It's not over. We have some options, right? And we hear about these things all the time, IVF, right? Surrogacy, donor eggs. So take me through, if I was coming to you and said, Doc, it's, it's just not happening. I think we need to look at other options. Yeah. What, what are my other options? Sure, sure, sure. I think just a, a couple more things. <laughs> Sorry, before we get into those options, I just wanted to state that, you know, women are actually most fertile because I know you and I had talked about that before um, in their late teens to 20s, right? But typically at that point, most women are not really even looking to get pregnant. Um, and just so that we understand that women um, start to, their fertility starts to decline by the 30s and their mid 30s. And, you know, after the age of 45, it becomes really difficult for women to conceive with their own eggs, you know, and like I stated before, as we age, our eggs age as well, right? So when our eggs age, we have a higher likelihood of chromosomal abnormalities, you know, trisomies, Down syndromes, <clears throat> and, um, and all of those things happen because our eggs have aged and uh, there's a higher likelihood of miscarriage also. Uh, when we're older and we're conceiving. Also something that we had talked about um, was uh, getting a semen analysis, right? So we spoke about how 40 to 50% of the time infertility is the male factor. It's not just the female. So, you know, you and I have just spoken and we've spent a, a large portion of our time speaking of, you know, different causes of female infertility and the things that we do to assess a woman's body to see whether or not she's ovulating and the uterine, the uterus and the fallopian tubes and all of that. But we haven't really talked a little, you know, much about the male factor. So 40 to 50% of the time, uh, infertility is due to the man. And, um, and usually the way we take a look at what's going on with men is by doing a semen analysis, right? So typically we'll have them do at least two semen analysis that can be separated by like, you know, seven days apart or two to three, you know, seminal analysis. And usually we have them go to uh, a reproductive endocrinologist where they'll leave um, semen samples or they'll go to, you know, a urologist and do that. And what you're looking at in a semen analysis is to take a look at the volume of the semen, the concentration, the shape, <laughs> of that, uh, of that sperm, the motility of how fast it's moving and, um, you know, the progression, the pH, all of that stuff. So, you know, it's very important to note that the man, his semen also has to be analyzed and it's not just the woman that has to undergo all that testing. Right. Yeah. And, and depending on that analysis, right. Of the sperm and of the egg, right. If you are unable to conceive, that could also dictate, you know, what option you choose to go with. Because I know, you know, you talk a lot about, you know, getting, you know, egg donor eggs or donor sperm, right? I mean, that is one option if the sperm is not viable, right? And and I think again, and you said it in the beginning, the burden of infertility is almost always disproportionately and unfairly placed on the female, 
right? And, you know, even culturally, right? And it's not just in Muslim culture, in South Asian culture. I think across a lot of cultures, men will leave women, right? Because they can't have kids. I mean, aside from how just horrible it is, you know, it's sometimes it's not the woman, right? And it's the man. So, I think it's important to understand, unfortunately, a lot of ego is involved when men are approached to, you know, do semen analysis. You can't be me. And what are you talking about? But I think it's important to conduct these analysis and to really understand what the cause of the infertility is. So you can choose a viable option, right? Depending on the cause, IVF might not be an option. Donor eggs might be a necessity. Donor sperm might be a necessity, right? So if we underwent all of these things, Salif, and then I came to you and I said, where do I go from here, right? We have some options. So so what would you advise me? Right, exactly. So, you know, I think, um, of course, you know, the most important thing is to be empathetic and compassionate with the patient, right? That's coming and dealing with this because, I remember doing a rotation in infertility, um, actually for two months, and it's one of the most heart-wrenching experiences. You know, the patient, the families, you know, want to have a child so badly and to want to have it their own, you know, their own egg, their own sperm. And it, it can be very difficult and it can be very trying for those patients. So I think you have to kind of meet those patients where they're at, right, in their journey. But um some of the options that we have, you know, first and foremost is IVF, right? In vitro fertilization. And wh what that is, is basically um, the woman will get medication to help her ovulate. And then what she'll do is when she, you know, she, she'll develop those follicles and then the reproductive endocrinologist will tell her when to give herself a shot to cause ovulation. Then she'll go into the office and basically they will aspirate or take out those eggs, right? And the way that they do it is um, with a needle. Uh, they have to go through the cervix. They have to reach up to those ovaries. And um, that sounds very unpleasant and painful. So the yeah, yeah, yeah. They actually, um, they actually do it through the vagina. And so um, they will aspirate the um, eggs and then they'll, once they take those eggs, then they will combine it with the sperm of their partner. And they'll, um, once the embryo is formed, um, actually the blastocyst, then they will go and implant that within the body of the uterus and uh, hoping that it implants, you know, that it takes and that it forms the embryo and that the fetus starts to grow. Now, sometimes, um, <coughs> excuse me, that um, blastocyst or embryo can actually travel up and sometimes those women can experience ectopic pregnancies. So you have to be very careful. Um, a lot of times what will happen is that infertility doctors will actually, if they know that a patient has damaged tubes, they will actually remove those tubes before doing IVF to prevent an ectopic pregnancy. So that helps in that sense. Um, you know, of course, it's important to remember that there's a cost to this, right? And infertility is a very, very expensive journey. Um, unfortunately, a lot of insurances don't cover it. And so a lot of patients will end up having to pay out of pocket, um, which can, you know, amount to a great amount of um, financial, um, you know, debt, 
if uh, they don't, if patients don't have the finances to um, pay for all of this, right? Um, of course, then you can also go with donor eggs. Now, for example, if a patient is, you know, let's say she's 45 or 50, I think Janet Jackson was like, what, like 52 or something yeah. like that when she conceived. Um, <laughs> it's important to know that that probably wasn't her own egg. You know, she probably had a donor egg because as we stated, as we age, our eggs age as well. And at the age of 52, you're not really ovulating too much. In fact, most women are undergoing menopause and their ovaries are really not producing eggs. And if they are producing eggs, they're probably not very good quality. So a lot of times women will use donor eggs and those donor eggs are typically from women in their 20s. And um, because those eggs are, you know, they're, there's a less likelihood of abnormalities and genetic malformations if you use a younger egg. And, uh, but of course, you know, that comes with a cost. Donor eggs are also very expensive. I believe there's even books that you can go and pick your donor egg, right? For the type of characteristics that you want um, your child to have, you know, they have books. Similar idea with the donor sperm. They have books where you can pick, literally pick like, you know, um, what type of genetics you want your, um, you know, sperm to have. So when it impregnates the egg, what, you know, possibly what your fetus will look like, right? Yeah. What your baby will look like. So that's, that's kind of the same idea with both the donor eggs and the donor sperm. Um, and then, you know, we go to surrogacy, right? Sometimes women their uterus is not able to carry a pregnancy. You know, they've tried, they've, they're able to get pregnant, but then, you know, either they have what's called an incompetent cervix, which is basically they have like painful, a painless dilatation of their cervix and um, they end up delivering preterm. And, um, you know, for that, a lot of times we'll do what's called a cerclage, but sometimes women will even... Uh, and cerclage is basically a knot that we tie, um, you know, on the cervix to prevent it from dilating, from to prevent that woman from, you know, experiencing a preterm delivery. Um, but even then, some women will deliver. You know, they'll, you know, maybe they'll bag of water will break and we'll have to remove that cerclage and they'll deliver prematurely. And they're they're, um, you know, uterus is not able to carry that pregnancy, or maybe they have like what's called a, a unicorn uterus, or maybe there's some type of abnormality with their uterus, whatever, whatever the reason may be, they're not able to carry that pregnancy. So then they use a surrogate to carry that pregnancy. And so then, you know, it could be her um, embryo, right? It could be her and her partner's embryo that that surrogate is carrying. And, um, and then that surrogate carries that pregnancy as if it's a, her own all the way until she delivers. Again, you know, that's a very expensive um, modality to have a child, but, you know, some people opt to have that if, if they can't carry their own pregnancy. So those are all options that are out there. And of course, you know, we can't leave out adoption, right? There's so many children that are left in the foster care system, you know, um, that don't have anyone to take care of them, right? It always breaks my heart to see that. And, um, and so adoption is always an option out there for people that are suffering through infertility that, you know, very badly want to have their own child, um, you know, perhaps they would consider adoption. And lastly, you know, Zabine, I think it's important to note the toll that um, infertility has on the family, right, on the partners, 
like you stated before, you know, some partners will even get a divorce because they're not able to conceive, you know, it takes a toll on their marriage. Um, and, uh, and sometimes, you know, they separate because they're not able to handle that. So I think that when somebody experiences that, we have to understand that mental toll that they're also experiencing and perhaps suggest for them to speak to a therapist, speak to a mental health counselor, you know, go to support groups. I think all of those things are very important for their mental health and their, for their mental well-being. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm listening and I think anyone that is listening to this, either they themselves have or know somebody that has experienced, you know, fertility challenges and, and is, or has been, or, um, you know, know somebody that is, or has been dealing with infertility and um, it is important to understand that, you know, of course, the empathy, you know, as, as a friend, as a family member, as a medical provider, absolutely critical, but also the self-empathy, right? I think a lot of women that are experiencing this, aside from the strain on their relationships with partners, significant others, family members, and friends... I think there's a lot of guilt, self-inflicted guilt and blame. And, you know, of course it's not fair and of course it's not right um, to blame yourself. But, you know, there's that train of thought where women start to think this was the only thing I'm supposed to be able to do. This is what a woman's body is supposed to be able to do. And it's the one thing I can't do. And, you know, you start thinking things like, how come all these other people, you know, that don't want to get pregnant are getting pregnant. People that are unfit, unqualified, unable, financially unstable, mentally unstable, right? Bad circumstances don't even want this kid. They're getting pregnant. How come I, right, who is healthy, you know, educated, willing, you know, all of the, the boxes are checked. Why can I not? And I don't have an answer and Sadaf doesn't have an answer. There is no answer. We don't know. It's not fair. But what we do know is that you are not alone. It's not your fault. The infertility isn't always with the women and it doesn't mean the end of your, you know, child, uh, your, your dreams of, of having a child. You have options, right? Um, you have options. And again, like with all things that we're discussing, open and honest communication with your family, with your partners, and with your doctors early is absolutely critical to success because like it or not, there is a finite amount of time as women we have to successfully conceive and uh, deliver, to carry a pregnancy successfully, healthily to term and deliver. So all of things to consider so if any last words to the women listening on the topic of infertility, you know, struggling with it right now, um, perhaps, you know, about to undergo or, or begin the journey, yeah. what are your words? Absolutely, Zabine. So what I would leave the listeners with is that if anyone is experiencing infertility, it's so, so important to be evaluated sooner than later, right? So the... I think the best advice I received uh, was when I was doing my rotation and from my mentor um, in Michigan, when I was doing my residency, uh, Dr. Abuzaid, and he said that, um, Sadaf, whenever you decide to get pregnant, just get pregnant. Literally, that's it. 
I mean, you know, and he's he's been an infertility doctor forever. And he sees, you know, women in their 20s experiencing infertility. So I think that, you know, that's very important that as soon as you know that you're ready to have, you know, a baby and, you know, you're you're where you want to be, um, I would just try to conceive because time is of the essence. You don't want to waste time, especially um, as we get older, you know. So if you're younger than 35, you know, allow yourself one year of unprotected intercourse to try to get pregnant. But if you're older than 35, don't give yourself more than six months. You know, the sooner you get evaluated, the sooner you can get treatment, the sooner you can get a workup, um, the higher the likelihood that hopefully you'll conceive. Um, so it's best not to wait. You know, that's the most important thing is if you're experiencing infertility, don't wait. Don't wait to get treated. Don't wait to get evaluated. Be seen by a doctor as soon as you can. Yeah. And for all of you, you know, that are struggling with infertility, we see you. We recognize your struggle and you are not alone. You heard the statistics. Um, so be kind to yourself. Um, be open and honest with yourself, with your partner, your doctors, those around you, um, and, and seek care and attention as soon as possible. Um, and again, um, I'm Zabin Mirza. This is Dr. Sadaf Lodi. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Bye.